Welcome on this episode of Come In, Close the Door. We're going to be talking about Paris is Burning, which is a documentary about gay culture with an emphasis on drag queens. Uh, it was shot in the 90s in New York, and it's going to be really fun. Paris is Burning is the type of movie that I try to throw on once every, like, I, I watch it like twice a year, I would say, just because I think it's an important documentary and I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a fun it's not, it's a fun documentary to watch, especially if you're maybe like a baby gay and don't know too much about the the culture. You know, you don't know a lot about like, let's say voguing or where that came from or where like even certain words that are popular nowadays where they came from. Yes. That's a great place to like almost learn our queer history and our gay history because um, there's not too many documentaries about that. It's always a lot of documentaries about like HIV. Yeah, which is important. Don't get me wrong, but this is a good, like, underground look at what it was to be gay, yes. particularly. And so right now, I think there's, like, uh, I'm not going to say there's a drag queen mania, but right now, the drag queen uh, culture and entertainment value, I think, is at its peak. Um, and a lot of the time, when you watch these shows, they're talking about balls, they're talking about... Um, the way that they present themselves, and it all originated uh, in this in these ball culture settings, uh, which Paris is Burning exhibits a lot of, right? Yeah. It was a very underground scene back in the day, too. This was, like, in the early... I think balls started in the 70s, from what I remember. The people, some of the, you know, some of the participants in the show were talking about, in the documentary we were talking about, it was, like, Back in the 70s. Yeah, like it late, was... 60s, late 60s and 70s and stuff. Um, and like when it first started, they were trying to be like showgirls type yeah. of just passing as women, showgirls. And then it's uh, evolved and morphed into just trying to pass. The really sad thing that I noticed about this is it was a lot of minorities, a lot of uh, Hispanic and black people participating. And the big... Um, the big desire that they had was to aspire to be like the fancy, rich, white people they saw on TV. Yeah, and it's, it's really interesting because um, one, of the, one of the head of the houses, because again, these houses were broken down uh, by groups and like you had to participate. It, think of like Harry Potter houses, but like Damn. for the... For, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm leaving. Nah, people are going to understand that. So it's like, think of the Harry Potter houses, but like for queer, like in, for gay, it was for gay men, uh, men who didn't have the opportunity to live happily at home or didn't have the opportunity to express themselves. And, you know, they had very cool names. Um, they were... They were really interesting and, you know, they were able to just be themselves in these houses, but you had to earn your worth. And it like transpired from there and it like grew from there to what you're talking about right now, where it kind of migrated from the showgirls to the let me wear this Gucci, Saint Laurent, all those kind of fashion pieces. Yeah. And, um, they wanted to mimic, like, the stuff that they saw on TV, which was, like, upper, upper crust um, white culture, basically. So a lot of the categories would be, like, evening wear. Yeah, uh, teacher, I think, was one of them, right? Yeah, a student. Yeah, Mo mom or mother. My favorite, cheesecake. 
I don't even remember that part, but cheesecake is just like if you have like a luscious body, like if you really pass as a, as a woman, Ooh, like passing okay. as if like you really look like a woman and your body is like very luscious. I love that. Ooh. Luscious. Um, but, but yeah, so this documentary also uh, showcases a lot of the struggles of being queer at that time. A lot of the people participating in the balls and involved in these families were uh, disenfranchised, poor minorities, and a lot of time even prostituting themselves or not eating just to have the money to be able to get the... Buy that outfit. Buy that outfit or buy that, um, the fabric in order to sew that outfit. Which, I mean, if you watch the documentary again, which um, is available on... I mean, if you want to watch it for free, it's on YouTube, but apparently... It is available on HBO Max. For those if, of y'all that got money. For y'all who have it, it's available on HBO Max. You guys can watch it there. Um, it, it's good. It's really good. And, y- you know, you see the skill that these people have. It's not even just skills of, you know, it's, it's being able to be in society. It's being able to sew, being able to dance, being able to form these really complex relationships that I think one big thing that heterosexual people don't understand is your acquired family. And this does a really good, this documentary does a really good job of showing people why it is that people end up in these acquired, like in, the in these houses. Chosen families. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of time when you're gay, you're rejected by your family. They never speak to you again, or you never speak to them. Or at, even sometimes out of shame, you just never go back. And so now you need that mother figure. You need your siblings. You need a father figure. So they would form these houses, and there'd be, you know, the, the mother of the house, the father of the house, and then you had your children. And even there's extended families. So uh, you can have grandchildren, aunts and uncles within these sub-families that you create. So it's very interesting, and it does showcase that unity within the culture. I personally have never had, like, a, um, a, a, a gay family. Have you ever had, like, somebody that you consider your gay family? Um, I mean, n- no, but, I, you know, now that I think about it, I do have kind of, like, for a while in my early 20s, I did have, like, my gay girls. Like, that was my crew to go out, to have fun. Where are they at now? Um, I mean, we've all kind of just grown up a little bit. Don't go out too much in that sense. Like, we don't go out drinking or dancing as much. I'm almost near 30. That doesn't mean you can't go out and do that. I just don't but do my it knees as much hurt. right now. <laughs> but my, I got ACL surgery. <laughs> Shit's tight. <laughs> so, it's like, about to rain. My knees hurt. <laughs> like, it's not happening. But, like, those are the people that you would consider chosen families, right? Right. And And the cool part, too, is that... Thankfully, in my in my life situation, I never had to have a chosen family. You know, I never had to be really ashamed of who I was. My family always accepted me and has accepted me and accepts my partner. So I didn't really have to hide who I was or leave my house or be abandoned or be shamed out of it. But these people who have been have really well, found... Well, lucky you. <laughs> I just want to say, well, lucky you. Because we're not all that... And and you know what? And that's what this documentary does, right? I think we're so used to now modern day TV shows that have queer characters that get killed off one season later. Yeah. Don't, not that they don't struggle, but it's just so easy to be like, oh, 
well, her parents should have accepted her. Her parents should have done this. Because as a society, we've kind of accepted lesbians and gay people a little bit more. But if you watch that a documentary, a you know, a bit more. If you watch that documentary, you're going to know as a gay person what your roots are, yeah, what a, our culture is. Definitely a blast into the past. Um, another thing that I feel like the documentary showcase was that um, straight society erased a lot of what uh, queer people built. So case in point, voguing, right? A lot of people recognize voguing as something that Madonna made popular. Yep. She even had a song called Vogue. But while watching Paris's uh, burning, you learn the true roots of where the Vogue dance came from um, and how it came to be so important within the culture and how it was acquired by like mainstream musical acts like Madonna and then taken worldwide. But then... But without it, the actual act, like yeah. accolades. I mean, you know, uh, Willie Ninja, which is the, the, the character who uh, helped Madonna build her like music video and, and make it big. I guess he did benefit from it all, but like not on a huge scale the way Madonna did. For sure, you know? Madonna is Madonna, and who is Willie Ninja if you're not in the culture? If you're not in the dance culture, who is that person? Exactly, who is Willie Ninja? Yeah, you're no, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, and, and I think that's where that's why this documentary is important, right? Um, it's. It's just, again, to reiterate, can't, can't beat this dead horse anymore, but it's to learn about where our culture comes from. Just, for example, we were talking about voguing, right? Apparently, even words like um, shade. Shade has been around for, honestly, at this point, decades. And I think that that word really got popularized when we were, when I was maybe like in, what, high school? Mm-hmm. Like, that person is being shady, mm-hmm. and it's it's actually not, like there's a whole meaning behind it that is directly connected to gay male culture and gay male culture of the black and brown. Yes. I was about to say, let me be clear. It's the black and the brown cultures because they're the ones that really did have to struggle even more than their white counterparts. Uh, Absolutely. A a billion percent. And, um, I want to circle back to something you mentioned oh. before. Uh, you mentioned uh, Harry Potter, right? And yes. you said, uh, you know, that they created, uh, what are they? Houses. Houses within yeah. that. How shook were you when you found out J.K. Rowling was a turf? Ooh. Because, you know, you thought that bitch was an ally, but she said J.K. stands for just kidding, bitches. Like, I- nah, but she <laughs> is, but she is. To an extent, she's an ally to the gay men and women. However, however, for people who don't know what the word turf is, could you explain that to, to them? So, a turf, as I have it understood, this is off the dome. This is not me googling it. A turf. I'm gonna do that. A turf is somebody who uh, does not accept trans. So by trans. Uh, male to female trans as part of like the women's narrative. So a TERF believes that there are things that still hold true to a woman's experience. So no matter if you identify as female, if you don't have uh, the female body parts, the female experiences, that menstruation once a month, uh, that growing up as a girl, 
you really don't know what's up. So you can't include yourself fully in our uh, diaspora. Yeah. So just like I said, I did Google it. And a TERF is basically an acronym for Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminist. So this is a fairly common but new term where you could think of old-headed, old-head feminists who really just want to fight for the woman's cause. And they often tend to disregard transgender, transgendered, you know, male to female um, or, yeah, male to female and sometimes even female to male and don't consider them who they who they've decided that that's who they want to be in life because, you know, they're not actual women or actual men. But that kind of like ideology has existed for so long. For example, when the females liberation movement first started kicking off, right, Gloria Steinem was in the movement and some of the prominent uh, women that were in the movement with her was like uh, Betty Friedan, right? And so when we started getting heavy into women's rights, women need the right to uh, fair wages, women need the right to abortion, women need the right to be able to work without being sexually harassed, et cetera, et cetera. Once lesbian women became part of the narrative, Freddie Freedown was like, no, I mean, I don't mean them. I don't want to include them. That makes it weird. I mean, you don't even, you, but that's the problem with feminism. And again, feminism. Tell me the problem with feminism. And that, I'm dying to know. And I mean, just in a general sense, feminism has always been in a grand scheme of things, meant to help one specific group at a time. So, for example, why did the suffragists want equality to vote? Well, they wanted equality for white women to vote. That, that's the point right there. They wanted white women to vote, and they were in outrage that black men had had the opportunity to vote. Oh. Yeah. So, so, again, which is why white women didn't want black women to march with them during the suffragist movement. But just the way we say not all men, not all feminists, because Gloria Steinem was very much like, look. Fair. Um, and I just mean that in a general sense. I just feel that in groups, people have, again, just feminists have done it. All kinds of groups have done it. I think the one overlarge group that has been successful at fucking everyone over has been the white patriarchy. They've done it successfully where they fucked everyone up. And say it with me one time. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. White men. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's white male patriarchy. You know? I saw this motherfucker in a TikTok video wearing a shirt. And he, his, he was talking shit to, like, a minority. It was, like, an Indian man. And he's like, I feel threatened. And he's wearing a shirt that says running shit since 1776. <laughs> what a bitch. Oh, my God. I mean, well, right now, white men feel that they are getting bombarded and blasted and they can't do anything and they can't say anything well, and they can't. Professor Kanye West agrees. Didn't he, <laughs> didn't he say some shit about, like, uh, the most dangerous thing to be right now is a white, like, a white male youth? Uh because basically that. they can't do anything right now, bro. That's and you know they're like the panda bear of of humanity. They're a protected species. And you know what's wild <laughs> that that we've come to this portion 
when if you circle back right to the beginning of the conversation that that this all was gay men had to create their own fucking safe spaces where they could live and dance and do what they wanted just peacefully just peacefully mm-hmm. but again white men in society have been okay overall yeah we talk about the stonewall riots as as gay people again if you don't know what that is that was a, one of the biggest pop-off riots that kind of is known to have started the gay liberation movement yeah and um and it's attributed to a lot of white men with the one exception of Marsha or Masha or Marsha P Johnson Marsha P Johnson but fun fact fun fact I don't know if it's so fun but Stonewall uh happened the same night Judy Garland died right and Judy Garland was a big like gay icon She's the one that was in Wizard of Oz. Yes, Wizard of Oz. And she had uh, a fucked up life. But she had a fucked up life. They had her on all kinds of crazy shit. I know. Poor girl. And they constantly criticized her weight. And, like, they got her smoking cigarettes from a young age. So instead of eating, she could just smoke. Yeah, it was wild. Ah, fuck. Women. We've gone through so much shit. Women and gay people. I mean, I plan on really popping off, making it big with this podcast. Buying an island and any woman and any gay person that wants to come with me, you're invited. <laughs> I just don't want to work anymore. I just don't want to work anymore. Help me. Um, but yeah, uh, there has been, I mean, look, throughout history, there have been times in history where like gay minorities, we have kind of flourished like the Harlem Renaissance and everything that was going on during that decade and then in mexico if you want to bring it back to there there was a certain point in time where like living on the down low was actually a good a good situation you know you had these men that were married and in prominent positions with los scientificos uh in mexico but on the down low they were having these balls these parties where they were able to like coexist and fuck each other because they all understood that they were amongst gay men and in this area, you are in a safe space until the shit got blown out of the water. It was El Baile de los... Uh, El Baile I don't de remember. los Cuarenta... But I will say, I believe that this is a Netflix documentary that's available or a Netflix show. But yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to, again... El Baile de los Cuarenta y Uno. Um, there you go. And I think it's on Netflix, right? Yeah, but I mean, they had. So they, you guys can see it. They like, made a movie about it. Um, but uh, the point is, they held dances that were very much like kind of a ball type of situation. Some of them even dressed as women. And they were able to just be their queer gay selves within the confines of these rooms. They weren't really doing it right. I mean, a lot of them were married and like breaking these women's hearts, but. Point is, you know, we've existed for a long time and we tried to create safe spaces for ourselves for a really long time. Yeah, and it's just unfortunate that when you think someone who is an ally, going back to uh, J.K. Rowling, you think they're an ally and in a way they are, but in a way they aren't because in the grand scheme of things, if you're still judging people for shit that's out of necessarily their control, there's nothing that they can do. Being transgender, you know... It's something that isn't easy to go through. I couldn't imagine going through the surgeries that they have to go to for the people who want to get gender reassignment oh surgeries. Um, 
it's not my place to say you should be one thing or you should be another thing I've at all. Into I it. feel like that's the most American thing to say. Don't touch them. Don't touch my guns. Don't touch my tits. I can do whatever the fuck I want with that shit. Um, I've actually looked into the gender reassignment surgery because same. It's wild. I've wanted, I've wanted to be a boy for a long time. N- not me, but I just looked it up. <laughs> no, yes, me. But um, yeah, I don't think I could go for it. Like, it's easier to re- to take things away than it is to add things. So. As a man who is interested in becoming male to female, having that surgery on first sight without an actual exam post-op, even a, a, a gynecologist wouldn't be able to tell you the difference between a, a transgender's vagina and just a regular, uh, a normal woman's vagina. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Don't cancel me. Um, but when it comes to like adding a penis... That shit looks wild. It just looks like a big lump of, like, salami. It does not look like a real penis. I think they even have to add, like, a little pump for you to be able to get they hard. Do on your balls. Depends. I, it depends. Some have them in their balls and some don't. Some have them I want elsewhere. it in my balls. So, like, they take the... <laughs> they want to take the meat or the skin or the nerves uh, to build your penis from either your... Uh, Forearm. It, yeah, your arm... Or your leg. And so within the transgender community, as far as I haven't understood, um, that's kind of like you get a tattoo or you let that scar live there and people can kind of identify each other. Like, ah, my brother, you part part of the movement. We got that big dick now. Um, Jesus. But yeah, so I mean, 100%. And I think think that if you as an individual want to do that, you should be able to do that. Like, period. It shouldn't be my business. And that's what I'm saying. Like, you can feel however you want to feel, but as long as you let me live in peace. So what's J.K. Rowling's problem? She just feels that, and, you know, it's a very big, you know, segment of female or feminist. uh, Mostly, I would say a lot of the older, old school um, feminists who consider themselves feminists because they feel that, these trans men, these men who were, you know, these men who are now women are encroaching in female space because now so they trans want women. Yeah. So trans women are, uh, and my apologies for misspeaking, but these trans women are encroaching in actual women's spaces because they don't feel that they'll ever be able to understand what it is to menstruate, what it is to give birth, what it is to have, um, you know, these certain aspects of what it is to be woman in their definition of it. But what is, what is a woman at the end of the day? Is a rose by any other name still not a rose? I've actually had this fucking conversation with a coworker where they were like, Oh, I would never want um, women to like play in the NBA with men, much less transgender women to play in the NBA with, with men or like for it to be just like a, 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 gender, not a gender exclusive sport. And for me personally, if you let that shit happen, you'd have a fan. Like you'd actually get an extra viewer. I want to watch women and transgender and men play basketball against each other. I think it's just, we can figure out ways to make people happy. I think overall, and I think that's socialism and it'll never fucking work in this country. Looks good on paper, but not in practice. Literally, but capitalism doesn't look good anywhere, but let's fuck them with some eggs. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, again, I think it's just, it's a, such a very simple thing. It just let people do what the fuck they want. I'm not paying for her surgery. Hell no. Nah, I'm not paying for his surgery. Mm-mm. If you want to live that way, live that way. Bro, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. I'm your best friend, right? Shoot. Yeah. Okay. If you were offered $9 million to kill me, would you do it? Are you going to haunt me? Nah. Am I going to get in trouble? Uh, no. Like, am I going to go to jail? No. Can I, like, it's just going to, like... You just have to kill me. Does it have to be violent? Uh, it could be whatever you want. Okay. I think I'd smother you. But you would do it. You would kill me. Nine million? Nine million. You wouldn't want me to have nine million? I don't know. You wouldn't want me to have nine million? I don't know. That's up to nine you. Nine million. Do you want you to have no, nine I'm million? No, I'm just saying, do you want me to have nine million? Do uh, you love me that much that you want me to have nine million? I have no, I have no dog in the fight, dog. You know how I've been talking to you about my mental health issues. <laughs> <laughs> and check. Nine anyway, million. Anyway, y'all, y'all should watch Paris is Burning because... It's a dope documentary. You guys are going to learn a thing or fucking two, hopefully. A lot. I mean, um, when you know, you know. Like, this is the type of thing where it will lead you into other parts of the community. Like, there is a gay rapper called Cakes Tequila, and he has a mixtape called The Eulogy that came out years ago, but throughout his album, he's got snippets from Paris is Burning that play because it's just so relevant. Like, no matter where we get to in this culture, that movie is always going to hold relevance because it's literally like a birthplace. It's a mecca. It's like where a lot of what we hold near and dear happen, and you can watch it and it's pure. It's so good. Now, nah, but thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you then. <laughs>